Welcome to the Envision Together, Going to Our Next Level of Best podcast. I'm your host, Pamela Mishana. Join me on this bi-weekly journey of empowerment, where you'll hear hands-on advice from lifestyle experts, educators, authors, spiritual leaders, and many more who will share tips on how to triumph personally, professionally, and spiritually. We explore timely topics such as overcoming anxiety and fear, educating the reluctant student, cultivating lasting relationships, and strengthening our faith. My hope is that the insights offered on the show will help us envision ourselves using our unique gifts and talents on greater levels for greater purposes. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Envision Together, going to our next level of best. I am so pleased and excited and even humbled to have our guest for today, which is Shayna Rattler. She is an incredible woman. I've had an opportunity to uh, talk to her a few months back, and I was so impressed with the things that she had to share about God and just a myriad of different things. She's a woman of God, and She has great stuff to share that I know without a doubt will help us go to our next level best. So I'm going to have her go ahead and introduce herself in her own way. So Shayna, go for it. Thank you for being here. You are so, so welcome. So the boring stuff, you know, is the stuff that's in the bio. Like I'm a (laughs) minister and I'm an author and I'm a speaker and, you know, who cares about all that? But at the end of the day, what I consider myself to be, Pamela, is a bold, courageous, life-changing child of God that is committed to making sure that believers understand the identity and authority that we have in him. Because it's my belief that anything that we're trying to go to the next level in, if we don't understand our identity and the authority that we have as believers to make things happen in our lives, we can sometimes find ourselves in a rut. Absolutely. I agree. Well, thanks for sharing that. And I'm going to just say, you know, just so we can get grounded, I guess, in who you are, because I think it's always best people connect more when they know a little bit about your story. So tell us your journey and coming to know God from childhood to present. So when I grew up as a child, the only thing that I really knew about church was that my grandmother would do my hair. She put way too much grease in it. but. My mom mixed. You don't have to do all that. Um, (laughs) Your mom must have knew my mom and my grandma and all my relatives. Well, you know, just for those that might just be listening to the audio of this and not the video, my mom is white. And my mama didn't know nothing about no mixed kids here to start with. But when I was at Big Mama's house, which was on Saturday nights, she would put all of this thick blue grease in my little mixed hair and send me to church. And it was a mess. But anyway, that's not the point. The point is that as a child, the only thing that I really knew about church was that my grandmother would get me ready for church. She would give me a dime and she would send me down the street to this little AME church. And the only thing that I knew was that I didn't want to give them my dime. Um, So I have no idea anything that they talked about. I don't have any idea if I learned anything. I just know I didn't want to give them my dime. Right. Fast forward to when I was in the fourth grade and the Crenshaws moved to town and I was really good friends with Jennifer Crenshaw and I spent a lot of time at her house. And so when you spend a lot of time at someone's house, you spend a lot of time doing what they do and they spend a lot of time in church. And that was the very first glimpse that I had into what it really looks like to live sold out for God, what it really looks like for your day to day being 
to be that that is according to what God's word said. And so even though I didn't really get serious or sold out for God myself until my early 30s, I really had a really good introduction to what this whole Christian life should look like in in the fourth grade. And so I got baptized, I think when I was 23. Even at that point in my life, the only reason I went to church was because on Saturday nights, I wanted to go to the club. And in order for me to go to the club, my godmother had to keep my son. And the only way that she would agree to keep my son was if I went to church on Sundays. So even in my early 20s, I was like, I'm going to go. But that's just because I want to shake my tail feather the night before. And that's going to be the only way I can get it done. Right. (laughs) So you fast forward to my early 30s. That's when I really got serious about living for God and wanting to live a life that that was pleasing to him and not just what, you know, what it was going to get for me because I wanted to be, you know, in the club on Saturday. That is funny. And it's real. <laughs> you know what? Sometimes what I appreciate about that is a lot of times we tell people, you know, I've been saved all of my life and, uh, you know, I've just been this do-gooder and that's not realistic. So there's like a gap in understanding. We need to be a bridge so people can see how you got from here to here. And when we hide that we wanted to shake our tail feather at one point people were like I don't understand (laughs) I can't relate and people need to realize that it's attainable for them it's easy to say oh well it's it's no wonder you live the life you have now you have been committed to Christ all your life but what what about if there's somebody who's listening to this that says I'm 45 and I'm still not sold out they need to be able to see that hey I was in the club on Saturday night as a matter of fact one night I lost my tithes in the club because it's in my bra. You know what I mean? So people need to be able to see that God can use you, flaws and all, and it's never too late for us to come to them. Mm-hmm. And we don't have to be fifth generation preacher in order to be able to do great things for God. It's we don't true. have to be, you know, we lived in the church five nights a week in order <laughs> for us to really be able to understand the things of God. The Lord can do in your life in five minutes what he what it took him 50 years to do in somebody else's. It's so true. And I think that's an important part of our message. So I, again, I'm glad that together we're sharing that and hopefully enlightening some people who may think, you know, I should have had it together a long time ago. And look at that bridge. You were going, shaking your tail feather on Saturday night and going to church Sunday. God knew the whole thing, but he had a plan. Yes. Like, she thinks she in charge. <laughs> but I've had those windows in my life too, where I thought I could just be on the fence and um, I had to come to my senses. And I, that happened for me in my mid twenties. I started really giving my life to God on a new level before it's like, I knew God was there. I prayed. I even believe God talked to me, but it was like, I kept them in a, in a certain place. Like, you stay over here on this shelf, and when I need you, I'll come over there. <laughs> when I don't want to play anymore. I'm going to put you on the shelf. When I want to play, then I'll take you down. Uh-huh. When I want to do my own thing, I'll sit you over there. And then when I need you again, I'll come back over there. <laughs> For sure. And then I think I started working my way out of that. Notice I said started working my way out of that mid-20s. So anyway, I think this has uh, been good stuff, and hopefully people will glean something from that. So what's the difference between a challenging window of challenging life events and a God shift? 
how does one know the difference? So it's important to understand what my definition of a God shift is because it's a combination of things that happen to work together for your good. So a God shift is the moment a disruption in your life collides with God's purpose and moves you to a greater destiny. So you have a challenging time and never grow from it. Say it again. Say that definition again. I just love it. Yeah, it's the moment a disruption in your life collides with God's purpose and moves you into a greater destiny. So a challenging moment can be two months in time that you never grow from. A challenging moment can be a blip on your radar that you don't give any attention to. But a God shift, on the other hand, means that whatever that unexpected circumstance was that happened in your life, it got your attention. Not only did it get your attention, but you recognize that God was using it as an invitation to invite you into more. Because how many of you recognize that it doesn't matter if your life has gone well or it doesn't matter if your life has gone horrible. There is another level of destiny that is awaiting for you. But God is not going to just sit back and do you. He's not going to just sit back and go, oh, here's all the great things I have for you. And now here we go. And I'm (laughs) going to do everything for you. And you can just sit back and twiddle your thumbs. It don't work like that. So that's the difference between a challenging moment and a God shift. A God shift gets your attention. You recognize that it's now time to partner with God and play your role in the will that he has for your life. Yes. I love it. And part of the reason I love it is because I've gone through a few God shifts. That to me is not like a one and done. I think some people think though, oh, I've arrived. I got through it. And probably when I was younger, I probably thought that too, the first time it happened to me. But I have noticed a pattern in my life. And I have to tell you, each time there's a God shift in my life, it's like the stakes are higher. The challenge is higher. The pain is higher. But then the rewards are higher. It, It requires more for you to make it through that shift. But you come out of it with such wisdom. If you allow God to take you through the process, you actually come out of it at a better place. And for me, I can just speak to an event that I went through about, I think it's like five years ago now, that just turned my world upside down. I was lost and spinning for years. Mm -hmm. And I was like, God, what is going on? And why are you even allowing this? And it's unfair and it's painful. And I've never been hurt so deeply. It's not just, you know, like an issue of job, things that touch your family. When you talk about disruption, I couldn't understand how to be more disrupted. In fact, my friends that would minister to me or try to encourage me, they would literally use Job. They would liken my situation to Job. (laughs) It was that bad and it was back to back, but it changed me in that moment. I knew it was working together for my good, but I couldn't appreciate it because I was in so much pain. But now I can look back and say, okay, God, not that I still loved that window. I'm not going to lie, but I do see the good that came from such disruption and pain. Here's the thing. The key is, is that you have to ask yourself, what does God want me to see? Yeah. What does he want me to learn? Is, and is there somewhere different that he needs me? Because there's a reason why he's using what he's using. Because he could use anything 
to get your attention. But he recognizes what he has to use in order to get your attention. And nine times out of 10, the reason why this disruption is happening is because we're pursuing the wrong place, whether it's a physical place, like geographical location, maybe we're in a job, we need to be in a different job and a job we need to be into entrepreneurship in our relationships and our mindset, anything that we are putting energy into that is not on the path that God has planned for us. He's going to do whatever he has to do to shake us up. Why? Because he's that committed to his results in your life and in the world. And so if we just see this as something that is happening to us, if we just see this as something as this too shall pass, I'm so sick of hearing that crap. Uh Who cares that it's going to pass? Yeah, it can pass and you don't learn from it. It can pass and you don't see anything. Mm -hmm. It can pass and you go right back into the same Mm -hmm. cycle again. So it's less important that it passes. And it's more important that we get out of it what it was intended to do for us and for the lives of other people. So so what that it's going to pass. Mm-hmm. What, what good does that do you most of the time? Oh, right. this too shall pass uh-huh, until you get yourself in the <laughs> crap again another time. It's funny how we use certain phrases, especially in the church world, almost as if it's scripture and it's not really doing any good for us. Oh, but this I, too shall pass. I'm like, yeah, and I've been telling you that five different times over the last four months because you keep doing dumb stuff. But I like, too, that you're emphasizing that a God shift brings about a change. It brings about a new direction, stepping into higher purpose and calling. And another thing that I love that you pointed out is it's not just about you. When God does a God shift in your life, you come out of it knowing that the the treasures that he's placed inside of you is for others. Yeah. And the learning, the growing, the wisdom, the experiences, it's not just about you. And whenever you go through something and you think it was just about you, I don't know if that was a God shift. (laughs) There's nothing that we go through as believers that is just for us. When we're going through something in our lives, we want to talk to somebody who's been there, done that. When we write a book, we want to read the words of somebody who's been there, done that. Mm -hmm. So that's why the Lord has taken us through the things that he's taken us through so that we can be a voice for other people that are experiencing the same thing. It's just like when I was pregnant with my son. I didn't want a man OBGYN. You're not going to talk to me about something somebody taught you in a class. You're going to talk to me about something that happened to your body. Yeah. I don't care what you learned in a book if you didn't get the information from your own body. There's nothing you can tell me about a watermelon coming through a canal if you've never had a watermelon come through (laughs) a canal. It's going to work for me. So it doesn't happen to us. It happens for us and for other people. And let me just tell you, that's not the first thing you're going to think of when life smacks you in the face. Oh, it's not. we realize until we start to get on get on the other side of it's it. It's true. You know, I love the way you think. I mean, I see a teaching gift in you because you're very step-by-step, step, precept upon precept. And I like the way you explain things. It walks people through the process. Certainly, like I shared before, when I was going through it, I, my mind was all on me. It was all on why, why me and all this stuff. But you reach a point where you start seeing a larger picture. And yes, that window certainly shifted me into new purpose, new things that I'm doing. Like even this podcast, I wasn't doing this podcast before. It is a joy. And so I wanted to ask you, will you tell us about one or more God shifts that happened in your life? Kind of walk us through that. What was the shift? I guess, how did you process it? And what are you experiencing on the other side? 
Sure. So I'm a business girl at heart. I've been an entrepreneur since 2007. Mm. In 2018 was when the Lord was calling me to ministry. Mm-hmm. But like those of us who have children, we know our children and we know what it's going to take to get their attention. And the Lord knew that I would, if he would have allowed everything in my life to continue business as usual, I would have never paid attention to the fact that he was calling me to ministry. Mm-hmm. So he allowed everything in my business to dry up. Unlike the Midas touch, everything I touched turned to dirt. And so it, it was in that moment that I said, Lord, I don't know what you're up to, but I feel like you're up to something. And I think you know me well enough to know that if you'll just show me what it is, I'll do it. I'm the type of person, I will jump out of the airplane and figure out if I have a parachute after I jump out of the airplane. And then once I realize I have the airplane, that I do have a parachute, that's when I'll read the manual to try to figure out how to open it. I am not one of those people that you're going to talk to. And I still haven't done the thing that I was talking about six months ago. That's just not how I roll. And so once he allowed everything in my life to dry up, that's when all of the indications started coming to me that he says, you know what? Everything that I put in you to build the marketplace, I now want you to take those same gifts, those same skills, and those same abilities and help me build the kingdom. Here's the mistake that I made, Pamela, and it's so easy for anybody to make, regardless of the area of their life that God is asking them to shift in. Mm -hmm. I took the new vision that God gave me and I filtered it through old perspective. So Mm -hmm. I have been a coach since 2007. Mm -hmm. So even though the Lord told me that my ministry would consist of me preaching and teaching in stadiums, me having a television show Mm -hmm. and me working with celebrities and politicians, I still went created a coaching business out of it. He didn't say nothing about no five-day challenge and no email opt-in, none of that. But what I did was I filtered it through the perspective of everything that I had done for the last 11 or 12 years. And even though what I created was good, even though what I created was helping people, it felt too small because I knew that the anointing on my life was so much bigger than what I had created. And it was so much bigger than what it was that, that I was doing. And so one of my friends said to me, Well, you could have at least given him a version of the vision to bless. Like you went home and said, okay, I don't want to be idle. And the word says that the Lord will bless what I put my hands to. You didn't even give him a version of the vision to bless. And so if you know that God is calling you somewhere different, please, please don't make that grave mistake. Because one of the hardest things to let go of is what we had in mind in the way that we have always done things. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't doing it from a level of, oh, I don't want to get outside of my comfort zone. Because again, I'll rock like that. Right. But what I did do was, is it was just my knee jerk reaction to create what I had created for 12 years. Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing for you. If you've been in an industry a certain amount of time, let's say you've been in healthcare and now God is calling you to education. Mm-hmm. It's going to be your knee jerk reaction to do the things that worked in healthcare. And then you're going to be sitting there asking yourself, what the hell is going on? Because right. nothing that is working in education is the same as what worked in healthcare. And right. it's because you take that new vision and you're looking at it through the eyes of old perspective. But as soon as I shook that off and go, oh yeah, you're right. I need to like create a version of the vision and then he'll bless that. Now it's been off to the races. Wow. You know, as I was listening to you, I, I appreciate your example of from healthcare to education, but I can't help but think of it in, I, I guess, more abstract terms in the spirit, because a lot of times we struggle with flowing in the spirit 
because mm-hmm. we're so used to assessing things in the natural. Yes. And that's what I kept hearing as you were giving your example. And I think it applies just whatever I guess is almost like automatic for us. We have to stop ourselves, even just to have a keen ear to listen to how the spirit would lead us and to even come attach, I guess, a vision that you would write for that, for the new thing that he's doing in your life. And then your plan, even the steps to get it done. It's like listening with new ears. It's trying on new shoes, but being aware of that is so important. Being aware that you're putting on new shoes and you have to learn how to walk in these new shoes and in this new space. That's right. I see it all as such a spiritual process. Not to take away, because we know faith without works is dead. We were talking just before we started recording about, you know, a lot of times, especially as as Christians, we can believe that something's just going to fall from the sky. God is just going to bless me because... No, no, no. It does not work like that. You better put your hand to the plow and not look back and follow where God leads. The faith part of it is being sensitive to the spirit, but do not confuse that with, I don't have to work so much. There's a part you have to do. Cause what I do is I'm like, okay, God, I've done everything I know in my power to do. And if it's something I'm missing, I need you to show me that. And when I reach a point where I feel like I've done everything in my power to do, now I'm like, God, now I need you to do that thing that you do. It goes in tandem, right? Because let God focus on the things that only he can do. And then you focus on the things that only you can do. Because there's some things that you can't do. You know, the old saying, like, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them to drink. drink. God can open the door, but he can't make you walk through it. Absolutely. Nor does he desire to. Even if he's called you to a group of people, like minister to people or whatever, you could keep ministering. And it's like, like what we're talking about. We got to move past the faith of it. Okay. I believe now put it into action. Right. I can't actually force people to put it into action. That's where I trust the Holy spirit to get through to them in those spaces where I can't, it applies for us also just our individual walks with God. But I think we're like-minded in the sense that we both get to work. I do feel my way through things. I have an understanding. Like I was sharing with you before we signed on. I'm Now I'm sharing with, with all our guests. I'm in a situation where I have so many plates up in the air that I'm juggling. And I know there's other important things that I need to get to. I'm not understanding how to get, it's not enough time in the day. So there's a part of me where I know more work is required. It's not that I'm denying that, but I'm like, God, show me how to get it done. Is it through hiring someone to help me, opening a a different door to help me get all these things done? It's exactly what I just said. When I said, let the Lord focus on only the things that he can do and we focus on the things we can do. It's the same thing if you're a leader. If you were focusing on tasks that somebody that gets paid $8 an hour can do, that's not the best use of your time. So many of us, the reason why 
we're overwhelmed. The reason why we feel like, oh my gosh, I've got so much going on. You're no different than anybody else. The question is, are you effective? Because if you are spending your time doing things that can be done by other people, then you're never going to get anything, the important things done because there's some things that can't be delegated. So I always ask people, make a list of everything you do. And then you need to ask yourself what can be delegated, what can be deleted. And, you know, you, you have to figure out like, hey, what can only be done by me? As the leader, I ain't got no business sending out invoices and going to the post office. Why am I doing that? <laughs> you know what I mean? As the leader, I don't have no business um, editing video. First of all, it's going to take me two hours to take what somebody else would take in 15 minutes because I don't know what I'm doing. Right. So, you know, so we have to ask ourselves, are there things that can be delegated to other people? Are there things that don't need to be done at all? And are there things that maybe... I need to prioritize the time of day that I'm doing them in. Because I can tell you, there's times that I look back at my day at everything that I did. And I said, oh, I got a lot done, but the most important things didn't get done. So why am I not looking at the list of things that I have to do and say, what are the most important things that have to be done today? That way, if my day is disrupted, that I don't have to worry about the most important things not getting done. Because guess what? No one is alone in having a lot to do. Absolutely. Your stuff to be done may not be the same things to get done as mine, but you know, long gone are the days that we can say, Oh, I just got so much going on. You and everybody else figure out how to do it. Absolutely. I'm going to keep going along those lines because I'm like, maybe you have something more to share, even just for me. And maybe I'm representative of other people in the audience. So the other thing I'm wrestling with is having the finances to hire those people who can help me. So I'm going to give you some some very practical things to do. First of all, is most people are going to tell you, well, look at where you can cut out expenses. Everybody thinks about that. You know what I mean? Everybody thinks about like, what can I spend less money on in this area in order to have more money over here? But one of the other things that I don't think we think about is who are people who have the education and the information that can help you, but you don't have to pay them. For example, what about college students that need real world examples for what it is that that they're learning in school. So you can sometimes go to your local colleges and ask for the department that is in the area that you need help in. For example, marketing. There might be a marketing department at your local university or your local community college that you can get interns from. Think about family members that you have that are younger than you that know how to do this stuff that we don't know how to do and they just need some pizza money. They just need some gas money. And then other times it is really looking at if we Google some of the sources that we need, a lot of times there's free versions for the stuff that we might be paying for that we don't need. And then other times you just have to recognize you can't afford not to pay anybody because guess what? There's an opportunity cost for you continuing to do things in your life that are not freeing you up to do the things that can make you more money. So at some point you might just say, I don't have a choice not to afford it. It's not that we don't have the money. We're just not spending the money on the right things. So even if you have to say, I'm going to stop paying, let's just use cable for an example, because cable is like $200 a month now, if you're not streaming, what if I just said, you know what? I'm going to stop spending $200 a month on cable for the next six months. And I'm going to take that same $200. I'm going to find somebody on Upwork that's in the Philippines that $10 an hour for them is a lot of money. I can get 20 hours of work from somebody in the Philippines that's qualified to do this job for the sacrifice of cable. Okay, I like that. That is practical. 
I really like the college student thing. I do kind of work the family thing, (laughs) the young people in the family, but I like those ideas. And again, not just for myself, I'm talking, I apply it to myself, but I also am using myself as representative of listeners who may be uh, wrestling through the same thing. So I, I like your ideas. Thank you. How do you define thought leadership and what does it mean to you? When I think about thought leadership, I think about your own opinions, your own experiences, and your own facts, knowledge, resources, everything that you have at your disposal that is going to help someone else do what it is that you have already done. They're trying to do something that you've already done. And so when you think about leadership, in the pure sense of the word leadership, that means that there is someone that is looking to you for advice. That's someone that is looking to you for a blueprint. So your thought leadership are what are the thoughts that you have that are going to lead somebody in a particular direction that they're trying to go. Very good. And, you know, I've heard thought leadership defined in many different ways, but in a prior conversation, when you shared it the way you do, that's something I wanted my audience to hear. And that's why I asked you that again. And I don't remember what we talked about six months ago. So that may not be the same answer. You might need to jog my memory. (laughs) I think it is similar enough. Also, during a recent conversation, you told me that God said to you, fight the urge to return to the familiar. Mm -hmm. So what do you believe he meant by those words? If we look back in our lives, we will realize that anytime God is doing something new, he puts the new thing just far enough out of our reach that we have to let go of the old thing. Mm. So it's impossible to hold on to the old and reach for the new at the exact same time. You can't do both. So if you're still able to touch the old, if you're still able to touch and access the old, you have automatically said you're not ready for the new. You're never going to be able to go into what it is that God has for you next. Everybody has a next level. Sometimes we're going to be making the most amount of money in our lives when the Lord says shift. Sometimes we're going to be in the worst place in our life when the Lord says shift. So wherever we're starting, we have to let go of what's behind us in order to reach out into what is in front of us. But our human nature is going to struggle like you don't know what to yeah. go back to this, to go back to this. <laughs> like Even this. <laughs> if that didn't feel good. Yeah. Even if that burned us and we still have the scars, it's just in our human nature to do so. So if you still are able to touch the old, you've already told the Lord you're not ready for the new. Ooh, that is scary. That is profound. If you can still touch the old. Now, see, my mind is doing a lot with the words you're using. Touch the old. That for me, it's like, are you even touched by the old in your heart? Yeah. Are you touched by the old? You can't stop yourself from being around a certain person. Yeah, from stop the old access, whatever. Job is. or just yeah. whatever. Wow. Should no longer have access. That doesn't matter if it's old thoughts, if it's mm-hmm. old feelings, if it's old relationships. The old should not have access. Wow. And it also brings to mind, I don't know why when I was listening to you, I kept thinking of Lot's wife. She mm-hmm. looked back. And he was like, no, I'm delivering you out of that. Don't look back. 
you may have heard this before, I'm sure most people have, is that when you think about a car, there's a reason why the windshield is big and the rearview mirror is small, because we're supposed to spend more time looking at what's in front of us than we are what's behind us. This is good stuff, young lady. (laughs) I like that. Okay. What do you know that can be a bridge to help someone get to their next level of best regarding harboring thoughts, feelings of not being qualified to do what's in their heart? Well, I think we have to remember two scriptures. One scripture tells us that God calls the qualified. He doesn't qualify the called. He doesn't call you because you're already qualified. Yes. But if we think about Ephesians 2 and 10, and I'm paraphrasing, but Ephesians 2 and 10 tells us that there are great works that the Lord planned for us ahead of time that we will do. So that means that you're ready enough to at least start. Mm -hmm. You're qualified enough to at least start because the reality is, is that if we just sit at our desks and do what I call create in a vacuum, meaning that we think about what it is that we're going to do. We plan out every single step of it. You don't really know what's required of you. You don't really know what you're going to need until you start doing. But many of us stay stuck because we don't have the entire path into the distance. But scripture tells us that his word will be a light into our path. It don't say nothing about into the distance, but every (laughs) step we take into the path gets us further and further you know, in, into the distance. So if there's someone that is listening that says that I'm not qualified, then you don't believe God loves you. And you're not willing to say that out of your mouth. I don't know a Christian alive that's willing to say, God doesn't love me. You know that he loves you, but you're also allowing things like I'm not qualified and I'm not worthy and I'm not ready. And I'm not this, and I'm not that you fill in the blank to let come out of your mouth. So if you believe that God loves you, then you also have to believe that if he's leading you somewhere, that he's going to give you the provision for that vision. He's going to give you the knowledge that you need. He's going to give you the resources that you need. And if you don't know it now, he'll make sure that he takes you through what you need to go through in order to know. Preach, okay. (laughs) Again, I say that quite often that, you know, when we're hindered in ways like that is the issue of, of you understanding God's love for you. It really is. And you can understand just like with anything else, you can have love as a head knowledge kind of thing, but you're not convinced of it in your heart. But when you are convinced in your heart, all those other things go away. Just like it says, love casts out fear. Mm -hmm. You won't be afraid. And all the things that you just mentioned, it's a form of fear. You won't be afraid to move forward or to believe that you can or that you'll have enough food or that you'll have somewhere to live or just all these cares of this world that we tend to focus on. Love calms all of that. And I always think of it in the sense of when I think of all the things that I will do for my daughter, no matter how many times she messes up, (laughs) no matter when she bumps her head up against the wall or whatever, I love her so much. And she walks into my house with authority, knowing she can go in the refrigerator and get something to eat, knowing, especially when she was young, her needs are going to be met. Yes. And God says, if we being evil know how to give the gifts to, to our children, how much more would he give good gifts to those who ask? He wouldn't give someone who asked for bread a stone. 
And think of our hearts toward our children. We would never do something like that. So how much more would God meet our needs? So it really is an issue of understanding God's love for you. And understanding our authority. You said, you know, you said your daughter knew that she had the authority. We need to recognize that as believers, we have kingdom authority, mm-hmm. meaning that we have the ability to make things happen in our lives according to what the scripture says. We have the authority to take control of our lives. Yeah. We have the, the authority to speak a thing and it has to happen. We have the authority to speak those things that aren't as though they are, you know, and so we know these scriptures and we quote these scriptures, but we still sit back and rest on, well, God is going to do this and God is going to do that. What do you think is inside of you now? Because God isn't on the earth and Jesus is no longer on the earth. The only thing that's left here is the Holy Spirit that's inside of you. So recognize that you have an authority that you should be operating in in making these scriptures come to life in your life. I heard someone say years ago, I think it was Dr. Ivy Hilliard. He said, God has designed us to move away from pain and toward pleasure. And I'm thinking about that a lot in our conversation as we talk about having a shift and the uncomfortableness. He will allow us to be uncomfortable. He will allow us to be between a rock and a hard place for us to say, wait a minute, I have authority. We know it. But now you're in a place where you like, you know what, I don't have a choice. I better use my authority. <laughs> you know, they say all the time, like, get comfortable being uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And I don't go looking for trouble. Right. But I almost embrace being uncomfortable now because I know the great rewards that are on the other side of it. Mm-hmm. And I know that I'm on the right track. I believe the biggest lie that I was ever told when I got into business is that when you have challenges, it's because you're pursuing something you shouldn't be doing. No, we got to stop wanting to be leaders who never go through anything, you know, and you talked about, you know, the cares of the world. Well, when we're full of the cares of the world, the Lord can't even fill us up and use us for his glory. He can only fill empty vessels. So I've gotten to the point to be like, you know what, if I'm uncomfortable, that means that there's growth on the other side of this. Mm -hmm. If it feels like that hell is busting my life wide open, then I know that the Lord is up to something and the breakthrough that's on the other side of this breakdown, I'm like, woo, it's glorious. You know what I mean? It's that language that helps me through things like, woo, hell is busting my life wide open, but whatever the Lord is doing, it's going to be glorious. Come on, you know? And you know what? I think I'm there with you. I think you might be a little more advanced than me. I'm going to be honest, but I certainly have had that epiphany I'm like, you know what? For one thing, I'm tired of being tired. I'm tired of even bumping my head up against the wall and even not trusting or being afraid and things like that. Mm -hmm. So I've made a commitment to myself that when I see challenging things, and I think it's because God has taken me through a process where he's caused me to understand that. When I'm going through a difficult space, I remember going through a very difficult space, uh, scary, even concerning a family member. And I remember God whispering to me, don't stop. This is a distraction. Stay focused on what I told you to do. The pain and the process to be able to do that and not let this thing that would just totally make me panic, you to listen to him, to God. 
and not be distracted by it. He's shown me a pattern that as I practice that more and more, I get stronger and it makes the problem smaller. Mm-hmm. I remember when I didn't let it grab my attention like that. The Bible says that the enemy walks around like a roaring lion. He doesn't even really have that much of a roar, but we react to it like that. So I liken it to things like that. And the more I practice it, I can be in the space like what you were talking about. It seems like something really bad, but I know something good is right around the corner or I wouldn't even be going through this. And so much of it, like you said, is a distraction. I was talking to my prayer partner this morning on the phone, like I do every Saturday morning. And she was even talking about some of the frustrations on her job that she realizes just a distraction, Mm -hmm. you know, anything to get our eyes off of what it is that we should be focusing on. Anything that puts us in a position where we trust more what we see with our natural eyes than what we do with our spiritual eyes. Those are the things that the enemy loves to use because he knows what buttons to push. And it's just a distraction. And the sooner we recognize that and stay in the place that he wants us to stay in, the sooner we actually get out of that situation. Mm -hmm. So that's a, um, I'm going to say an inspiration for me too. That's a God shift in and of itself. A God shift is when the disruption in your life collides with God's purpose. So the negative has to, has to happen most of the time for most of us. But in the negative is when we are given the, the ability to collide with the purpose that God has for our lives. And once we collide with his purpose, that's when we're able to find resolve in things that are going on. And then and only then are we able to get into the greater destiny that he, that he has for us. And the question is, are we going to become stuck in the disruption? Right. Again, the more you practice it, the more quickly you can have that correct response Mm -hmm. that is trust in God, that is faith in God. The first time we encountered that, maybe we will struggle longer because it's a learning process. But the more you practice it, and that's what we got to challenge ourselves to do. And hopefully we're encouraging the people who are listening to go that's, ahead. That's what I was going to say. Like, that's why conversations like this are so important is to equip people that when they recognize that things like this are happening in their lives, they can immediately go to, okay, there's something I'm supposed to see. There's something I'm supposed to learn. Maybe God needs me somewhere next. And then now what are the steps? And we haven't really talked about like, what are the things that you do when you're having a God shift, but you have to immediately recognize your situation for what it is, good, bad, or indifferent that's happening in your life, and then know how to appropriately respond. Because awareness is only one step of the equation. What do you do now that you're aware? Yes. And that even applies to things like mental health. A lot of people think, oh, if I feel depressed, it's nothing I can do about it. It's just how I feel. No, you can choose, okay, I have this emotion, whether it's depression, whether it's anger, whether it's sadness, whatever it is, and you can change your response. Those things are going to come as long as you walk this earth, but you can change your response to how you deal with it. I've probably said this on about four different episodes of my show, but I don't mind anyway. I'm going to say it again for the fifth time. Our conversation is reminding me, I made up my mind, my cousin shared something with me and and a group of women probably over a year ago now. And she talked about how in a storm, bison run into the storm. Mm. 
Mm. Other animals run away from the storm and it causes them to stay in the storm longer. But because bison run toward the storm, they actually get out of it sooner. And so ever since I learned that, I've been saying I run into my storm and I'm learning the value of running into my storm. Don't let anything chase me. We're called to fight and to come at these things. You <laughs> The exact same, the exact same place that I was getting ready to go because I was looking at the visual of that. And I want to break that down for the audience of the, the sure. implications of what Pamela is saying. You know, when you think about a storm and the fact that storm has wind and it has motion, it can only go in one direction. It can only go in one direction. And so if the storm is moving toward you and you run through it, it's going to pass over you and then you're going to no longer be in the storm. If you run from the storm, again, it can only go in one direction. So then it gets at your back and the momentum that it has to continue to push you further and further and further away from the, de- the direction that you were traveling in. Right. And so even though you're going to feel the pain, even though you're going to feel the impact of when you hit it, you're eventually going to be through it on the other side of it. It's no longer behind you. It no longer has any power. Because guess what? You're going to feel it anyway. Even if you're running from it and it catches up with you and then overtakes you, you're going to feel it longer. You're prolonging. You feel it longer. My God in heaven. Absolutely. My God in heaven. Absolutely. (laughs) Wonderful. What's the harm in not following one's call to destiny? I'm going to say it like this. There's a lot of deep Shana-isms I can give you. You're going to get to heaven and see boxes of stuff with your name on it that you never had. You're going to see people's names and faces that never got what they needed because you were so disrespectful to God and the call on your life. And I I don't know about you, but I don't want to get to heaven and see that there was riches that I could have had here on earth. Mm -hmm. I don't want to get to heaven and have to hear the stories of people that if I would have just done what it was that I was called to do how much better their path would have been. I don't want that blood on my hands. Right. And so if you're okay with that, if you're okay with getting to heaven and God God telling you, you disrespected him, if you're okay getting to heaven and (laughs) seeing boxes of stuff with your name on it, then don't do what it is that God is calling you to do. But I don't think that anybody is listening to this broadcast because they don't want to have impact and they don't want to have influence. But here's what I'll say. All God needs is your yes. The how is none of your business. Mm -hmm. But yet the how is the thing that keeps most of us stuck. And so be willing to take steps towards that calling, even if those steps are laced with uncertainty. Mm -hmm. But you have to do it. Now, you don't have to do it, but you have to do it. Yeah, I get you. I'm begging you to do it. (laughs) You don't have to, but you have to. Because we all have these gifts and talents. And I love that the parable in the Bible literally caused the money that was left with the servant's talents. I know that's what it was called back then, but I like how it has double meaning. So God has given us all these gifts and talents. And why would he give them to us? He fully intends for us to use them. And there's no shame in saying that I have a talent that's a gift to the world that that should be given to the world. Each and every one of us does. So what I always say is I don't want to get to heaven and God be like, uh, what did you do with those talents I gave you? Oh, well, Lord, uh, I was afraid. So I hit them. So here you go. Hiding them, hiding them in what? 
hiding them in pride, hiding them in fear, hiding them in feelings of inadequacy. We hide them in so many different ways that don't allow us to see full on that you went, dug a hole six feet under and put your talent under it. When the minute you say, I don't know if I'm good enough, you dug a hole and you put your talents in the ground. And you've also said to yourself, I'm perfectly fine with my life the way that it is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because and if we don't use the gifts that God gave us, he's so committed to his results in the earth that he's going to get the job done. And if you choose not to do it, then he will take the gifts from you. So aside from the fact of getting to heaven and realizing things, why would you not want your life to be as fruitful and abundant on earth as it possibly could be? Right. And the talents that he gave you is what's going to open the door to the opportunity and the resources and the rewards that he has for you. So what does it mean? Oh, I think we touched on this a bit, but I'll ask it again in case you have more to expound on. What does it mean to exercise your God-given authority? Yeah, I believe that our God-given authority is our mandate, our birthright to have control over the world. Dominion is mentioned 44 times in the Bible. Back in Genesis in 1 and 26, it says, I'm going to make man in my image and my likeness and that he will have dominion over the earth. I had somebody ask me, so when you say we have kingdom authority, does that mean you're Jesus? And I said, no, but it means I'm his sister. And if I am his sister, that means that I have the same authority that he had. It tells us in John 14 and 12, greater works than these shall you do in my name because I'm going with the father. So basically Jesus was saying to them, listen, I'm not going to be here anymore. But guess what? The good news is, is that everything that I did, all of the signs and the miracles and the wonders and the authority over the enemy, all of the things that I did while I was here before I went to the Father, you have the ability to do those things and even greater things than that. So when I think about the fact that we have the ability to exercise our own kingdom authority, I think about the fact that if we're aligned with God's will, his word and his ways, and we actually believe that he's not just able, but he's willing to do it with us, that we have the ability to confess the things that the scripture says that we can have, be, and do, and it has to happen. You know, and I'm not talking about this new age crap that's out there. You know, they perverted manifestation and, and, and meditation and all these other things. I'm not talking about being out of alignment. I'm not talking about edging God out, but I am talking about partnering with him because he has the power and we have the authority. I want everybody to say out loud, I have the authority to make it happen. And I'm not replacing God, but I do have a role to play. You know, relationships have two sides, whether you're working on a project or whether you're working on your marriage, it's never the responsibility of one person to do everything. Why would it be anything different with God? And even though God is God all by himself, he doesn't need us. He's not going to do it without us. We can't do without him and he's not going to do it without us. So we're not going to just sit back and not have a role to play in his will for our lives. Right. He made us in his image. He gave us creative ability. And a lot of that has to do with our spoken word. Yes. You see until you see what it is that you're saying. And then you have to persist until it happens. You don't just get to say it one day. Ooh, I declare that I'm healthy and wealthy. And then tomorrow, Lord, I'm still sick and broke. Like you've got to persist until it happens. Why do you think some people shy away from the Christian message? One, I think that they don't understand it. And when they can't apply logic to it, 
they can't follow anything that they can't logically conceptualize in their minds. Two, I think too many of us that are Christians are living just as raggedy as they are. And so they don't trust, they they don't trust the gospel. You've got well-known men of God that are sleeping all around town and everybody knows it and they got babies and they like, listen, I don't want nothing to do with Christianity or God or anything else that it is that y'all y'all have going on if this is what it's going to look like. So I think it's a number of things. I think um, it goes back to what you were saying earlier. Like so many times we don't feel worthy and we don't feel qualified because of something that's happened to us before. I'm too dirty because of things that I've done in the yeah. past. You know, if someone was willing to abuse me, if my own father was willing to abuse me, you know, surely I'm not worthy of doing anything in life. So I don't think there's any just one reason. I don't think it's the same thing for everybody's life. I think it's a lot of avenues just gotten to the point where they're like, "Mm, yeah, I don't think I want anything to do with that. I'm good. I'm good over here. And one of the things that really, really stands out to me that you said, I agree with every, all of those avenues are why, and I'm sure there's some we haven't touched on, but a major one is the hypocrisy. I remember being challenged as a child. As a child, I had enough sense to observe some things and wonder, like, I knew this pastor was wrong as a child. Now, can you imagine how many young people, and not only that, can you imagine the price you have to pay when you lead people astray? Yeah, because you're supposed to know better and you're held in higher regard. And it's like, you know, I keep hearing things nowadays about like, Oh, you know, like somebody was saying that they actually have pictures and proof that a very well-known pastor who I will not mention his name is involved in selling girls into human trafficking. And I thought to myself, if I, who am a nobody, has sense enough to fear the Lord enough not to be doing that, how do you not have sense enough not to fear the Lord enough? But that's what the word talks about, that reprobate mind. Like sometimes that success and that money and that fame is so strong that it overpowers, you know, logic. Like you said, if I'm a child and I can realize what you're doing is wrong, how do you not realize it? And you're older and wiser and been walking with the Lord longer. I hope that's not true. I don't know. I'm going to go. I hope it's not too, but you didn't say the name. So I'm going to just say innocent until proven guilty. But that is like unbelievable, as we might say. It blows my mind. In this day and age, nothing surprises me. It burdens me, but it doesn't surprise me. I know. And it's sad that it's gotten to that. Yeah. The prize element of whether you're talking about pastors or politicians or Mm -hmm. it's sad that it's no longer shocking. And it's ruining our trust. I was telling a, a client of mine the other day that when I think about the way that our government is being ran these days, I said, it doesn't feel good for me to be in a position where I feel like the main people who are supposed to protect me and have things in place that are supposed to make my life better that I can't trust them. Like that's not a great, that's not a good feeling, but it's where we are. And only those of us who know what is right are going to be able to affect change. Policy in and of itself does not affect change. It helps, but policy in and of itself does not affect change. What can we do to affect change in our homes? What can we do to affect change in our communities? Can we get on school boards? You know, there's a lot of things that those of us that know better and are committed to better can do to affect change. Just like we shouldn't sit back and wait on God to do everything. We also can't sit back and wait on our on the responsibility of our politicians to do everything, even if they are on the up and up. Yeah. Even that speaks to purpose in a lot of things we've been talking about. A lot of people say, I don't know what I can do. I don't know what I'm good at. If you can speak up, if you can go just 
play a greater role at the school board meeting or whatever, do what's in your hand to do right now. And then other things will open up. You can't get to the point of um, having the Red Sea part if you don't just go ahead and recognize that the staff is in your hand. Use the staff. Just use it as a staff. And then one day God will show you that you can use that staff to part the Red Sea. We can all get going. There is something in all of our hands right now. And sometimes the problem is not that we don't have it and not even that we don't recognize it. We don't value it or it's something we don't want to do. We got a lot of junk. There's such (laughs) truth in, I know what I can do and I know what I should do, but it's not what I want to do. I was a physical therapist for years. I learned to ask them, will you do this? this, not can you? Because I would ask them like, can you stand up? No, no, not, not what you can do, but what will you do? Because mm-hmm. there's a lot of things that we can do. And there's a lot of things that we don't want to do. Right. And so we won't do. Wow. And it's really about you running from it. Because a lot of people say, I don't hear God telling me my gift or blah, blah, blah. He's no respecter of persons. It had to have been made Uh, clear to you at some point but some of it is just you don't want to do that Mm -hmm. so when will you yield well we just don't realize some of the basic indications in our life that it is a clue of what our purpose is so like for example what are those things that people come to you all the time to ask for your advice or pick your brain when you look at your passions and your frustrations where those things intersect you know, that's where your purpose is. When you look back over your life, you may realize, well, when I was a child, I always wanted to do this. And then I got into my career and I feel like I'm doing that. Oh, wow. My purpose never changed. My assignment did, but my purpose never changed. So sometimes we just don't know what to look for. I agree with that. I agree with that 100%. But I I also think that a lot of times it's just, it's outside of our comfort zone. It's not something we actually want to do. It's hard work. So you kind of run from it. I don't want to work that hard. I don't want to do that. But no pain, no gain. We apply it to the areas where we want to apply that statement. And I I have a friend that I don't know if she coined this phrase or she got it from somewhere else. She said, but pick your hard because it's all hard. Absolutely. I like that. Staying stuck is hard. Like, let's just take a business, for example. Like, oh, I don't want to do this and I don't want to do this and I don't want to do this because that's hard. Well, so is having a business that you're not making any money off of. Like all of it's hard. Pick the hard that's going to yield to a, a great result because it's all hard. And can we just say to society and to the world, stop thinking that life is not going to pr- produce challenges. Once we realize that challenges is part of it, there's celebrations and challenges throughout your life. And stop being shocked when you face a challenge. And spoiler alert, mm-hmm. stop saying you want more and you don't expect the ch- to have more challenges. <laughs> the higher you elevate, sometimes the bigger those challenges are and the more zeros that they come with. Right, right. And it's part of it because I find that the more I focus on that's just part of it, it doesn't shake me as much. Mm-hmm. So it goes back to what I was saying, being able to run through that storm because I know storms are going to come. I'm no longer shocked that a storm is coming. So run through it. Just so you know, Pamela, if you ever hear any interviews that I do from today, today is August the 20th, 2022 and forward, I will be sharing the story of the bison just so you know. (laughs) 
well, take it, run with it. I already told you, I got it from my cousin who shared it. Okay, good. I think it's such a great analogy. It's so good. And and I was going to say I was going to steal it, but my spiritual father, he don't steal nothing. He lets you know he's taking it. Times that he has interviewed me on his platforms, he's like, I'm taking that and I'm going to preach it and I'm going to preach it like I came up with it. And I'm letting you know right now. <laughs> oh, he, tell, he says, I'm going to preach it like I came up with it. You know what? Preach it like you came up with it. You just said you're taking it. Yeah. But you know what? Anything that's good that I say or that I got from somewhere else, I mean, that's the whole point of this show. Keep helping people. You will reach other audiences that I will never reach. So anything that helps us expand people's knowledge, I feel like we're doing this together. It's a collaboration and okay, good. And if it's good, it's good. <laughs> and it's just like, I, um, I understand leadership. Your job is to make that leader look good if you're under um, someone. And yeah. some people are like, they took my idea and didn't even give me credit. Now, I do think a wise leader will go ahead and maybe give you some kind of little nod. They don't have to, but that's kind of like part of your role is to help them look good. I'm very like that. I just share and I'm like, now I have had people in life, let me just be honest, either copy me or literally write something. I wrote a play and then this person wrote a play and it was a lot of similarities. And when we were being interviewed, the person told a story and says she wrote hers first. And I was like, you little lying son of a gun. That one thing about copying me means that I'm <laughs> ahead of you. By the time you put out what you copied from me, I've already put something else out anyway. So it really doesn't matter to me. Copy mm-hmm. me all day because all everything I create is good. So when you copy it and put it out into the earth, that just means I know that, that my message or whatever it is is going to help even more people. And you're the one that's going to have to answer for why you're doing things that are out of integrity. You're the one that's going right. to eventually recognize that the things that you're doing in your life are not sustainable. But right. by the time you copy something I've done, I'm already on to the next thing anyway. So I don't care. Right. Flattery to me. Thank you. Thank you for the compliment. I've learned to see it as flattery too. But when a person goes to the point of lying, I was that's when you can catch these hands. I love Jesus, but you can still catch these hands. <laughs> I'm like, wow, you, you that's interesting. So I always say that there's no greater prophetic voice over someone's life than their own. Does that resonate with you? Why or why not? It does. And I'm an ordained prophet. The word says, you know, that we should desire spiritual gifts but especially that we should prophesy somewhere in Corinthians. And so prophecy is number one is not delegated just to people who own a certain office or or run in a certain office. But if you can't speak into your own life, then that says more about your situation than anything. You know, sometimes you just have to be able to encourage yourself. Sometimes you need to have a strong enough relationship with God to recognize that he talks to all of us. Exactly. We should not ever find ourselves. This goes back to our authority. We should never find ourselves in a position where our first response is to ask somebody else to pray. Mm-hmm. Our first response is to ask them what it is that they're hearing from the Lord. Mm-hmm. So when people ask me to pray for them, When people ask me, do you have a word for me? I'm never going to say, no, I won't pray for you. But I am going to ask you, have you already prayed? Now, I want to help build you up. It's almost like 
give a man a fish and he eats for a day, but teach him to fish and he can eat the rest of his life. Yes, I can pray for you now, but I also want to make sure that you're not in a position where you have not deepened your relationship with God enough that you know that you can go to the father first. Now, I'm not overriding the scripture that says that, you know, that multiple people can need to stand in agreement and that there's, you know, um, wisdom in a multitude of counsel. Anything I say, I'm not overriding another scripture. But what I am saying is that there's certain principles that you're probably not applying to your life. And right. so, yeah, there shouldn't be anybody in your life that should be able to prophesy you greater to, you know, to a greater extent or have a greater influence in, over what you can do for yourself. And that's coming right. from somebody who's an ordained prophet. Yeah. And really, it should be that what you hear outside of yourself is more of a confirmation than a, a newsflash. It also makes me think of the scripture as I was listening to you, physician, heal thyself. There has to be some evidence and fruit in your own life of how your own faith and your application of it is doing some good. That doesn't mean, like you said, that God doesn't give us outside supports Mm -hmm. as a way of encouragement, confirmation, comfort even. All of that is true. I like how you said that you always ask people, did they pray first? Because the way I explain it to people who tend to go seek someone else to pray first is my role is to be in agreement with you. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I'm not the driver in this. I'm attaching my faith to yours, but you have to activate your own faith for me to be able to attach mine to yours. It makes (laughs) me a greater witness as well, because if I'm witnessing to people about the goodness of God, but so many things in my own life are shambles, that doesn't make a very great witness. <laughs> like, don't talk to me about deliverance and your life is jacked up. Don't talk to me about how great your, about how great your God is and your life is jacked up. Like, it just don't, it don't go. So which one final gem can you leave with the audience today? It's the single most important idea shared so far, or maybe it hasn't been shared yet. And it's just something that's, in your heart right now to share with the audience that will help them go to their next level best regarding our conversation today. I'm going to give the audience a free gift today, but I want to share the first thing that is in this free gift. And I think it's one of the things that we've talked around, but we haven't talked about. Mm -hmm. And the fact that my best advice and my best tip for shifting is recognizing that your shifting season is going to be more about being than it is doing. And so the number one question that we often ask is, Lord, what do you want me to do? But what is the most important is, Lord, who do you need me to become? Mm -hmm. Because one, if we focus on becoming the best version of ourselves, usually we either attract the doing to us or the doing takes care of itself. And the Lord is never going to give us anything that our shoulders are not broad enough to carry. So instead of focusing so much on what it is that you're going to do, recognize that there's a reason that we're called human beings and not human doings and say, Lord, who do you need me to become for this next season of my life? Because I think that when we become who it is that we need to become, everything else is so much easier. And so I created a free guide and that guide is called When God Says Shift. And inside that guide, it covers the four shifts that are required to move into a greater destiny, expectancy, and possibility. And the very first shift is becoming. And if you want to get the other three, the guide is called When God Says Shift. But the website that you can go to is God Says 
shift.com. That's God says shift.com. And it's going to tell you what the four shifts are. And it doesn't matter where it is that you're being called to shift physically, emotionally, relationally, financially, spiritually, whatever it could be. Those are going to be the four shifts that are going to be required in order to get you from where you are to where it is that God needs you next. Girl, I heard so many things listening to you just now. <laughs> Look, don't say them. We'll be on you. We'll be on here another four hours. <laughs> Out of just the whole being part is so rich. It made me think of even God saying, I am that I am. Mm. And there's a being for all of us that knowing who we are and that we are actually even so many things. We probably will be talking another half hour if I just start expounding on everything that I just heard. But That was really rich. And uh, thank you for offering that free gift to the audience. I was going to say as the final question is just share uh, anything that you would like the audience to know about how they can stay in touch with you. I think you shared a little bit uh, with your previous comment. The best way to find me is I'm a God shift everywhere. So if you have a question for me, if you're like, oh my gosh, that was great. I've got somewhere that I want her to speak or be interviewed. If you will follow us either on Facebook or Instagram at a God shift, I've kept it super, super simple. Then you can always message me. You can message me on those platforms. So the easiest place to find me is on social media at a God shift. And, you know, that's where I share tips and information and go live and expose the schemes of the devil. And that's that's why I really cut loose. I think some of the things you share, too, is where they can get your books and everything, too. Are you at on Amazon and all of that? Yeah, but the best place to start is with the guide, because the, okay. that's the fundamental. Any books that I have are going to be an elevated level of what's in that guide. So that's the best place to start. So I don't like sending people 90 different places because a confused mind does nothing, let alone take action. And so (laughs) the best place for you to start is with that free guide at godsayshift.com because that's going to be the introductory and foundation level. Because if you go out and get some of those other things, it's going to be like trying to put a roof and you don't have a walls and foundation. It's just going to fall and it's not going to do you any good. And I'm more concerned about your life being transformed than I am about you just having random information. Wonderful. Thanks so much, Shayna, for being my guest today. It was a beautiful conversation full of so many treasures. I just know that it's going to be a blessing to the audience. Again, I appreciate you. It's been a long time coming and I'm really humbled to have a guest with your understanding and caliber and professionalism. So thank you. You're welcome. It's been an honor. Well, friends, thanks for joining me for another episode of the Envision Together Going to Our Next Level of Best podcast. I hope today's topic inspired you to envision a brighter future getting to your next level of best and to urge others to reach theirs as well. If you are encouraged by today's episode, subscribe and share it with your family and friends. Also, please write a review. It will help me to reach a wider audience with a message of hope and inspiration. Don't forget to follow me on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, and share your thoughts about today's episode. Until next time, envision the future you want to see.